show. Hello, everyone. To another episode of Selves Talking. Today I am. Today I have Sarah Gonzalez. Hi, Sarah. What's up? How you doing? <laughs> I'm pretty good. Huh? Wrapping up this godforsaken year. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a fantastic year, hasn't it? <laughs> it's been a year. Yeah, that's for sure. It's been a. Uh, collectively, it hasn't been the best, but. So individually, it's been pretty phenomenal on my end. Yeah, I was just talking to someone about that. Yeah? That they, it was like one of the best years personally. Yeah. While the world is burning. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny. Yeah, there was, um, I always had like, um, there's like a, a poem in my head that, um, that and, like sort of worked with that. Beca- mm-hmm. Because like, uh, there, uh, there was always like this uh, weird feeling for me that, the inside of my world somehow became external mm-hmm. and I finally felt at peace mm-hmm. which like sort of means shit for the world but it's like hey I'm happy now that's fantastic yeah <laughs> and some people feel bad and they're like oh, I'm having a good day but everything's terrible I'm like eh, you just do what you gotta do though that's essentially it yeah <laughs> uh, what's what's your first memory my first memory ever of my yeah. life mm-hmm. uh I have thought about this actually, <laughs> and I remember, um, and I've had conversations with my family. I just remember being very young. I just remember being like in a crib. Okay. And like these uh, older ladies were like looking down at me. Like, really? Yeah. It's a very hazy memory. Um, yeah. But I was like, so maybe I made it up, but I just remember it very clearly. I get that I was, feeling. Like, oh, okay these ladies kind of like cooing over me uh other than that like baby baby i don't know i think i'm too old to remember <laughs> first memories because uh, i'm not a linear kind of person of course so i'm like i don't know uh you know uh, it's just like different things like photographs evoke things or like mm-hmm. playing it playing in the yard like my dad would tell us that um, that moss was quicksand, so we were always afraid to like go at this piece behind the house or, or like playing. Like I live, in, I was born and raised in Oklahoma, okay. so like raking up all the leaves and like jumping into them with my brother, right. my older brother's just two years older. Yeah. So like those are some of the things I kind of remember mm. as like early, early on kind of stuff. But because of the work I do, we ask people these kinds of questions a lot. And a lot of them oh, will really? say, like, when do you first remember that you were what race you are or what gender you are? And uh, almost everyone will say something related to school because school is when you start. Like remembering something? Or interacting with lots of different kinds of people, maybe. Right, right, right. Or when those kinds of uh, interactions start popping up of like, oh, girls over here, boys over here. Or like, we were right. like one of two Mexican families, so it was like, right. oh, I realized I was brown when I went to school, right. and, when, and when no one else had tortillas, and I was like, yeah. what is this bread shit? <laughs> I'm like, what is white bread? It's <laughs> funny. Yeah, so. Why did your dad tell you to stay away from Moz? No, I think he is a trickster, oh, and so he okay. just told us that if we stepped in it, we would die. <laughs> we swallowed it by the earth. That's great. He was always making up words, too. Um, was he? Like, uh, meniscus was one that he is a real word, but yeah. like uh, he would talk about it and use these words, and we thought they were made up. And then when we got to school, we learned, <laughs> we're like, Damn it! <laughs> it's a weird word. Like, he's a liar. Wait, was he using it in the right way? Or no. Was he just like he's like your meniscus in the head. Oh, he's just <clears> to be like you're crazy. Right, right, right. I'm like, um, this has something to do with a knee joint. <laughs> <laughs> so he's just a uh, trickster. I think that sounds cool. He is a complex person. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, that, that's he sounds. Yeah, good. my dad like. Uh, he grew up in San Antonio, okay. and he grew up in poverty and was in a gang, mm. and, and then ended up in the military, and then like he's a genius on paper, and then somehow dropped out, and then somehow ended up graduating from Duke University in the Whoa. medical field. <laughs> so he's like what the a story. <laughs> epitome of like 
really I don't know, like all the things that we learned about inequity, mm. like he would always bring up. Like we talked about racism all the time. Every night at wow. dinner, we would just talk about those things. Really? Yeah, and so he, and he would talk about like, you know, he got drafted in the military, like very like stereotypical, mm. grew up in the barrio, like Mexican, went mm. to like a Cesar Chavez high school, uh, and then the recruiter would come around and like promise college education and right. all these kinds of stuff and then like that didn't really happen <laughs> yeah. and then yeah and then he was stationed in um, Puerto Rico and like all those he was like in a a division of all of the fuck-ups essentially just like the gang members like hardcore oh. like super poor all people people of color they all segregated them into the, <laughs> essentially the base in Puerto Rico uh, no they or? into um, uh, what do you call it? Like basic training. Oh, okay. And so, and they were harsh. So mm. it was like, it was like the harshest. Like they were there to break them. Right. It was just like super violent, just very strict. Mm -hmm. And then did whatever in the army. He became an army medic. And then he got stationed in Puerto Rico because that was during the Vietnam War. So he said there was very few people who were speaking Spanish and so he spoke Spanish and so mm. that's why they stationed him in Puerto Rico because all these soldiers from Puerto Rico were coming back from Vietnam right. and so they needed fluent Spanish speakers and in Vietnam they were this is all from his account mm. they were uh, kidnapping the medics because they needed them so because he was so precious having being able to be fluent in Spanish right. they didn't send him mm. so he like avoided that for sure trauma mm -hmm. <laughs> of being in Vietnam. Uh, yeah, and then he was gonna go to like paratrooper school and then he got accepted <coughs> into this program at Duke. Mm -hmm. And then he went there instead and then he graduated as like the first class of physician's assistants in the country. Mm. So yeah, so it's kind of hard to top that. <laughs> oh, wow. But yeah. He's got a story, doesn't he? He has hella stories. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he will tell you them all the time. <laughs> uh, that sounds persistent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but you got to respect it, you know? Yeah. You got to respect the, those experiences. And also, um, I do have a poem about it. It's sort of like, those are there's a price to pay for all that learning. Mm. Like, he's a very harsh person. Yeah. And so... There's a price to pay for all that kind of growing up in that environment. That kind of experience. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. So he definitely, he moved us away from family. And so we were all raised in Oklahoma. That's where he went. He worked in mm. the veterans hospital. Mm. Um, so he moved us away from family. Uh, and uh, it's like we were raised with street smarts, but we didn't have to experience it. Because where we were too, there was a lot of, issues mm -hmm. but he was so strict uh, and controlling yeah. that he it's like we were very well aware so like I know the things that my peers had to go through with uh, like drugs or sexual assault or gangs and all that kind of stuff but he managed to keep us from participating in it because of how strict he was right. and because he had all those <clears throat> those stories anyway mm -hmm. so yeah it was a, a, a an interesting dynamic to like to grow up with that mm. of like knowing both sides yeah. and so I always feel like I'm sure a lot of people but I always feel like a, a contradiction I'm always like two sides of everything and like uh, one of my friends gifted me a name once and it was it's basically like uh, the moon when it shines so bright that you think it's the sun mm. so it's always this dichotomy of like yeah. oh like I'm happy, but I'm also very dark. <laughs> like, or like, you know, I I, uh, I believe in love, and I also understand hatred. Yeah. You know, like all of those kinds of things, and I think that's part of it. You need both, though, up. right? Mm -hmm. You're a contreras. Yeah, that yin yang <laughs> kind of existence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah, and my mom was like super quiet, uh -huh. and so it was just like he had a very dominating personality. So it's always just like. Mm. Them and then I have two brothers. Yeah. So. <clears throat> the only girl in the middle. Mm. What kind of work do you do? Since you're like you just said you just said that you asked those kinds of questions. Mm -hmm. What kind of work are you into? Um, I do. I have a lot of jobs. Um, I run my own consulting business. Okay. I've done that for uh, since 2010. Yeah. 
Um, so it's like a social justice leadership education kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it could be anything from a workshop to um, developing a curriculum to doing keynote speeches, mm -hmm. all just re uh, organizing retreats for groups of people or organizations. Okay. Um, all that kind of stuff. So in that, uh, if you want to talk about inequity and racism and sexism and homophobia, they're all stories. So in the workshops, it's a lot of storytelling and right. <clears throat> facilitating where people are coming from because we all came from somewhere different. But we're all in this room together right now. So what are all the different narratives that got us here? Right. Um, so you can kind of understand. It's not that people won't be held accountable, mm -hmm. but it's like, oh, we've had, I've had people, participants who like, who use the N-word and that's, that's just like, they were raised with that and it's like, well, that's just who are not African-American. Yeah. And like, oh yeah, that's super common. And mm -hmm. I'm like, cool, well, we can't do that here. <laughs> but like, that's super interesting. Like, yeah. this is where you're coming from, right? right? And then when you unpack it, it is 100% on some level, they know that it's, wrong or they know that it's right. meant to hurt somebody right <clears throat> so well, at least the habituation of that word yeah huh. yeah so i don't know i think doing that work it's like it's fascinating to me even if it can be difficult of like mm -hmm. oh all the stories in which people have because i worked with a lot of older folks or maybe people who are like um when I was much younger, when they're they're like mid forties, late forties, mm. um, and if they were white, they would be like, "I'm absolutely not racist at all," because their parents are overtly racist, and they're like, "I'm not like that." Like they don't use racial slurs. Right. So right. it's just about trying to get them to understand, like, um, what really are we talking about when we say racism right. or when we say inequity, because uh, we're operating on different definitions. So. Yeah, I've heard a lot of really amazing stories from people. Yeah, and that's your consulting job. <clears throat> that's my consulting job, yeah. Um, yeah, so it just kind of ebbs and flows. You know, I really like working with Queer Youth of Color. That's my favorite. What is that? Queer Youth of Color, just that demographic. Um, sometimes it's hard to work with, like, privileged groups. So mm. doing work with white folks all the time uh, can be difficult. <laughs> as a person who's not white. Right. Um, and so then I'm like, well, you know, we all have inequity. We all like perpetuate it on some level. Mm -hmm. So if I'm working with queer youth of color, like I have more uh, capacity to work with them to say like, hey, right. here are the things that we're doing that y'all are doing that's like, you know, perpetuates inequity. Right. Um, there's just a different, it's a different dynamic. So like you're trying to teach responsibility <coughs> in a certain sense. I don't know. I don't know responsibility, but I, I don't feel like I will ever tell anybody how to, what to think or mm. how to be, but I'm just going to make sure that they actually have all the information. So they're mm. like, oh, I don't like this group of people. I'm like, well, what were you taught about that group of people? That's right. erroneous. Like, you're missing a whole piece. So then if you still yeah. want to be racist or homophobic, like, that's on you. T you, sh you should have the power to make those choices. Right. But I know that you don't have all of the information yeah. and like that's coming from a place, like certain place of like whatever it came from. And so when people are growing into their own decision making, mm. it's like, yeah, what do you want to do with that information now? Right. You want to take them out of a place of ignorance. That would be the hope. <laughs> <laughs> and they're teaching me too because I'm yeah. ignorant on lots of things. Right. And so especially their own experience. So yeah. it's about, I think it's about creating uh, an environment in which people can talk about the mm. things, right? And I think poetry and like writing are ways to do that. They're mm. just other languages and we need as many languages as possible mm. to talk about all of these things. Of course. Did you, have you always written or? or yeah. yeah. Yeah, I have. <laughs> I feel like I, we wrote a book in like elementary school. My mom is a huge reader, mm. so our house is like stacked with books. Mm. And she would make us read. Like I read, I used to, she taught me how to read at a very young age. Wow. So like uh, the urban family legend <laughs> is that she would, mm. she took me, she would volunteer at the school 
And they're like, oh, is she just looking at the pictures or is she reading? And my mom's like, oh, she can read. And so then they like had me go around to the, I was three, so they had me go around <laughs> to the classes and I read to them. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, so she was huge on literacy. Wow. And so I remember just writing from a very early age. Really? Yeah. And just like <clears throat> free writing or like? I remember there's like a, a little book, which maybe would be like a zine now, <laughs> about the Muppets. Uh-huh. <laughs> I wrote something like that and like <laughs> illustrated it. Um, but yeah, just like, yeah. I also, poems, I don't know why poems, but very early on poems. So like, um, I didn't meet my mother's mother she Mm. passed away before I was born Mm. and then like when I was a kid I had a dream that she came to visit and so she visited me in my dream so I just told my mom and it was like her birthday so I was like I'm assuming that she like came because it's your birthday but the way that I told her was just like I wrote it as a poem so which I was just like I wasn't trying to be like extra. <laughs> it was just like the way that I could communicate it, right? Right, right, right. Because I dream all the, like every night. I dream every single night. Do you remember every every dream? Yeah, you have? yeah. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. I guess that I feel tired. Tired. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm always trying to. People are like, you should write that down. So I'm trying to write it down. Like maybe I'll make a movie one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it's like your brain trying to like parcel out your day or something just to make sense of your day that's what they say or it's just your brain producing a lot of dmt Mm -hmm. that's what that probably is (laughs) (laughs) so yeah Yeah. Uh, what's the craziest dream you've had that you can remember uh only poetic language can probably like explain what i know i've been trying to describe it to people because some of it's just like a feeling so there's like um (laughs) I was a huge like Guns N' Roses fan mm-hmm. when I was growing up, and so I kept having a recurring dream that they that their tour bus broke down in front of my house, and I didn't have anything for them to autograph. Like all their posters are black, and so I have black pen. It was like a nightmare. <laughs> um, but there's also uh, sleep paralysis. Yeah. And those dreams are so terrible. Yeah. And those are so you feel it. So I w- I was like laying like I was in bed all these dreams like 90% of them take place at my home that I grew up in in Oklahoma mm. so there's something <laughs> some therapist can listen to this yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. diagnose me uh, <laughs> so I'll be like laying on my stomach sleeping mm-hmm. and then I just you I feel like two hands on my back like pushing me into the bed like and like not stopping and then I like panic Oh, and like trying to wake up and you yeah. can't wake up right and then um i woke up like kind of in the dream and mm-hmm. i went to the next room and my dad was in there and he's like i told you like not to sleep in there and then i felt i was getting sleepy my eyes were getting heavy and i was like no and, like i fell asleep again and just <laughs> felt them pushing on me ah. <laughs> yeah it's intense yeah uh <laughs> so you had that happen any, like, yeah Mm-hmm. Say paralysis every once in a while. Yeah, more so um, this past year. Yeah. I feel like uh, my friend was getting sleep paralysis, so I feel like she just like passed it on to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I heard that it's like if you're not getting enough sleep, it's like when you get sleep paralysis. But I've been an insomniac my whole life too. So oh really? Yeah, I haven't had sleep paralysis. I didn't have that growing up or anything. Um. But yeah, I remember as a kid, I was dreaming that people were, I was in my living room on like a rug, Mm. like sitting down, and then I heard people in the kitchen laughing. So I went to go see, and as soon as I stepped off the rug, I fell, I was like falling. And then I woke up, I like had fallen off the bed. Mm. (laughs) So I was like, you're a trippy brain. (laughs) Yeah. But also, I think one, I was like, they're almost always negative, right? They're not very happy dreams. They're never happy, yeah. Yeah, but um, my best friend in college, mm-hmm. so it took me five years to graduate, so we were friends that whole time, mm-hmm. like every day, hanging out kind of thing, live next to each other. Oh, nice. Um, and then a few years later, she passed away. Oh. And um, I just had like a month of dreams. 
that it was all a mistake. And like I had a friend like in, in the dream who would be like, no, 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 she's not dead. Like it was a mistake. And I would just be like, oh my God, we have to tell everyone. And I would just look so elated. And then I would just wake up and it would just take like a second. I would be so happy. And then I would be like, I was a dream. Oh, and I would just no. like, it would be so, it's so sad. sad. <laughs> yeah, uh. it's so horrific to see <laughs> to that. But I actually told my mom and she was like, Oh, that's just her way of like letting you know that she's okay. And as soon as she said that, like they stopped. And I was like, thanks, mom. Your mom just instantly like recontextualized <laughs> it for you, and you're like, you're good. I know, right? You're good. <laughs> my mom is very cut and dry. She's not like, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. She's like, oh, she's just letting you know. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> nice. Thanks, mom. Thanks. But there's like a history wow. on my mom's side of like people having dreams. So I'm like, I guess I inherited. From that side, it's cool. Yeah, and so the ability you have probably inspires a lot. At least you can remember your dreams. I find that I can't remember most of my dreams. I like go to sleep and just wake up. Yeah. If I like, maybe if I wake up in the middle mm -hmm. of like my sleep, then probably can remember something. Yeah, there's all kinds of um, tricks of the trade, like sleeping with a notebook next to you and like writing right. it as soon as you wake up. Right. You can even like envision like a, a pinwheel going backwards. So sometimes when I wake up, I just have a feeling um, like whatever the dream left me with, mm -hmm. but I don't remember what happened. And then especially if I, now that social media, like we have phones and stuff, right. it, I'll forget it. But you, if you can visualize a pinwheel and then go backwards, then my, then I can remember them. Like they'll like come back. Really? <laughs> yeah, but um, people study it all the time. That's the only why I had looked into it. Right. Um, but then once you train your brain, it will s train itself to remember. Goodness. Yeah. <laughs> and then for me, like if I eat and go right to bed, like uh -huh. I'll it'll be super vivid. Really? Yeah. If you eat and go right to bed, that's that's real specific. I don't know. I just noticed it, so I was like, oh. dude. Do <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you ever had a, a dream connected with another dream? No. No. Well, we like with another person, or like. Well, I mean, a, like, like one, episode two. <laughs> yeah, like episode two. Oh, um, I'm not sure. I'm sure I have. Um, mostly, it's been like, well, there's like reoccurring dreams. Mm. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I think more reoccurring. Yeah. But um, you know, like obviously I've read up on it. So like lucid dreaming. Yeah. So then too, like you can try to train yourself to lucid dream. Right. So then like like have some sort of semi state of consciousness while you're dreaming. Right. I haven't spent very much time trying to do those things, but <laughs> I'm like sometimes it's that it's like I know this is a dream and right. like I can do whatever I want because yeah. I often find like. If I'm trying to protect myself, it's like, uh, like I can't, like I'm trying to punch them and it's like doesn't go anywhere. Right. And so now it's to the point where I'm like, this is a dream and you can do whatever you want. So I'm like, I'm going to fly away. <laughs> uh, does it work? Yeah. Yeah, you fly away? Hell yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. I remember once, I, I, one time I, I noticed that I was dreaming. I couldn't fly though. But I could jump very far. Yeah. <laughs> I could jump very far, but that was it. Yeah. And then, like, like I got too conscious of it, and then I woke up. Yeah. And I lost it. Yeah. Which is bummy, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can wake up and disrupt it. What I think is really cool are, like, I've known two people in my life who can interpret dreams. Mm. And that, I think, is actually, like, a thing mm. that a gift <laughs> yeah that you were born with so i don't have any example well uh, nothing that maybe i can recall I, I was like at my house in oklahoma in this dream mm -hmm. and there was like a snake or something that was in the house mm -hmm. and my boss at the time was there and like so there was something like i wasn't afraid of the snake but i was just like walking on eggshells around her because we didn't have a good relationship in right. real life right. and then i told my friend and he was like oh it's just trying to tell you that you know what you're doing and you need to like stop listening to her negativity <laughs> and i hadn't told him anything and i was like <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> i got this snake <laughs> oh, that's hilarious yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> dreams are interesting that's for sure and um the the aboriginals of uh 
of Australia, they, they, I heard this story, I don't know if it's real or not, but I heard this story that their dream time was used to like, the, the shaman, I guess, would go into the dream time and then come back and be like, we need to go in that direction. Game is in that direction. Hmm. And they'll find their meat. They'll find their food. Something, yeah. There's something weird there. On my mom's side, it was, they would say, like, if you were born with a call on your face, which is like a thin membrane that sometimes babies are born with really? and they have to take it off, wow. that you would be psychic. And that was what my grandmother was born with. And really? so she would have dreams of, like, wow. something happening in the the road or something and mm-hmm. so and then they would take it and they would stop and they would be like oh there's like a thing in the road like stuff like that so wow. she always said so my fam which i think is interesting when you start talking to other people it's like oh my family is like that's not weird to them yeah and so i was able to just be like oh here's a pomero you're from your mom <laughs> and they it was like she called all her she's like the youngest of six so she called all of them and we're like tell them the palm it wasn't like you're weird no no it was just like, like oh, they believe in, in gold you fit into the family you like come come yeah <laughs> it would be like that's awesome the phone we had landlines so the phone would ring and i'd be like oh that's so and so and they would answer and it was that person and right of course, yeah. you, but we all have some, uh, you know, there's a fine line between intuition and psychic abilities and, you know, you, the older you get, the more it goes away because you like doubt it or you don't train it. Yeah, if you let it. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, people will talk about when they were right before they've been attacked or something, like they felt it, their intuition, mm. and they just mm. didn't pay attention. I get that. Um, and it's nothing otherworldly intuition. It's like you might not realize it, but like they noticed, oh, the door's not locked when it was locked before, or you know what I mean. Something is out of place, and their subconscious registers it, yeah. but their active brain doesn't necessarily. Right. So they're just like, oh, I don't, I'll just go. It allows for it. Yeah. The subconscious allows for it. <laughs> yeah. And mostly since we know we do, like like when we have the subconscious, anyways, and the conscious mind can only be so aware of that. So many yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your brain is like, what's necessary? What's not necessary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A yeah. lot. <laughs> uh, so you've been writing since you were young. Yeah. Uh, with with some spirit help every <laughs> once in a while. And yeah. That's awesome. Uh, and, and so, did you did you go to college going for writing, or what? What you what you study? No, I didn't. Um, I think reflecting back on it, it's mm-hmm. like. You know, even though my family was super supportive, I still grew up in a system where I was like, oh, I can't. That's not, I'm not really valid, I'm not really a real artist or a real writer. Those are like extracurricular kinds of things. Right. Um, and, you know, a little bit for my family. Like my dad was in the medical profession, so right. he was like math and science. Like we, we all made like straight A's in school because he's so strict mm-hmm. and like it's not that we're particularly good at it it's just like we had to make De- good grades like education 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 like that over and over <coughs> so i went to school for biochemistry mm. you did <laughs> yeah dude <laughs> <laughs> and i was like hmm. so again it's like you just that's what you, just you do down. was like yeah we got a scholarship math you know like uh, math and science yeah. kinds of stuff and I went to math and science camps in the summer so like I can do it because yeah. I have to do it but once I got to college I was like I did it for two years and I was like this nope. is no good because then once you get to once I went to college it was like these are really hard mm. and I don't care about them right and so it wasn't worth this, the suffering it was putting you through yeah, yeah. and uh there wasn't a lot of support either. Right. And then I'm like one of the only women, one of the only brown people. And all I went to school in like a small Oklahoma town. Mm-hmm. So all those things like were just like, whoosh. like the night before I went to college, mm-hmm. um, we were watching some document. I don't know what it was, like a, a news show or something. Mm-hmm. Um, about the KKK. Oh, fun. <laughs> and they uh, had oh, headquarters fun. in like in Oklahoma. They have headquarters in Oklahoma. Oh. And so I was like freaked out. I was like, man, I'm going to go to this small ass town and like mm. I'm brown. Like they're going to like 
there's going to be KKK there. And I was like, I'm not going. <laughs> you scared yourself. <laughs> that's a reality, too, though. It's true. It's true. And so, yeah, it was like a super weird experience. It's like, you're just... My town, there were a lot of folks of color in my town. Mm -hmm. There's a huge indigenous population, a large African-American population, mm -hmm. and then a large white population mm -hmm. where I grew up. <clears throat> and then going to college, it was like very rural area. And so I remember being in like my English freshman writing class and being like a pretty bomb ass writer compared to them and right. getting like straight A's yeah. effortlessly. Yeah, yeah. And then I just hear them whisper, like the white girls whispering, like she's so weird. And I was just like, this is so weird. <laughs> I'm like, at that time I was like pretty hippie. I was just like, I love everyone. Yeah. And they're like, we don't like you. And I'm like, all right, you know, it was just right. like, and that's when I found like the Latino Student Association. It was like, mm. so there was only 300 uh, Latinx identified people mm. in the entire university. Wow. And so that meant like there was probably 30 of us that were active. And like my friend was older and he went through the phone, they had phone books at that time. Yeah, yeah. And Good he just, phone yeah, mm. he just called yeah. every like, Latinx sounding name in the phone book and mine's Gonzalez so it was like hey <laughs> we're trying to like get anything he could do to find because we of didn't course. have yeah. I mean Facebook I or Twitter no or we didn't have any of that no. it was like the first year of the internet <laughs> was right. that it was like chat 93 94 <laughs> yes yeah. mm -hmm. uh, and so that's how he had to do it and so I was like okay so I went to the meeting and I was like mm. oh god other people and I actually wasn't ra raised around other brown people, only like black people and indigenous people, but right. not Mexican or Latin American folks. So how was that? Uh, being raised that way, or yeah, or uh, getting reintroduced to to, <laughs> to brown folk. Uh, I think because they're so. What happens like when you are a very small group of people, mm -hmm. then you like you kind of get over it, and you're like, you we need each other to survive. Right. And everyone was super cool, so yeah. it was. It was fine. It was like it was one of the best experiences of my entire life. Was like being involved mm -hmm. in that group, yeah. um, because then I was seen as like, like yes, you can do these things. Like I would have never right. run for like a student government at college, but right. I was like, oh, these are all. This is my family. These are my friends. Right. So I was like every single uh, leadership role, including president of that mm -hmm. that organization over the course of my time there. Nice. Um, so it's like, oh, this is why we need these spaces. And this is what I, you know, I work at the university and the cultural and resource centers. I'm like, mm -hmm. this is why they're important because right. everyone else is telling me I'm, I'm some weird brown girl in their classroom. Right. And then these folks are like, oh, you're normal. Well, you're pretty chill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, for me, it, it kind of helped me contextualize my experience mm -hmm. with my dad because he is so harsh. Mm -hmm. And then learning from other folks of like what is part of culture right. and I was like oh he doesn't hate me he's just the way he's not able to show love in certain ways right or the way that he feels like he has to protect us mm -hmm. um, by humiliating like you shouldn't want to do that I'll humi I will humiliate you to keep you from doing this thing that I think will cause you harm right. instead of just being like hey <laughs> probably shouldn't do that <laughs> maybe don't do that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so it was just like a yeah, it's just like when I feel like I became a leader. Because in high school, right. I was extremely quiet. Like mm. I never really talked that much. <laughs> yeah. And then in college, it was like, whoosh, just like mm. all came out and yeah. like got you know super supported and all that kind of stuff. That's so awesome. yeah, and then it was it was funny because I actually before that happened, like the first month of my first year in college, I joined the African American Student Association. Mm -hmm. Because that's what I was more familiar with. Because like I said, there weren't other Mexican families in our town. It was like a majority African-American. Right. And so when you are a person of color, if they don't know what to do with you because you're one of the two Mexican families, then you're black. Black. Yeah. And so where we live and like who we hang out with, it's like that was also very comfortable and normal, like right. friend-wise. And so I was like, oh, I joined, I went to their meetings right. and they were cool. And then one of the guys later was like, man, you walked up in there. And I was like, that girl got balls. Because <laughs> I had no, 
I had no context of like, oh. I'm an outsider. Yeah. No, I was like, like, I'm a home oh, part good. of this. Like, what up? How are you guys doing? Yeah. <laughs> and I had a, like, my brother went there the year before me, mm-hmm. um, but uh, left after a year, mm-hmm. but his, his, and lived in the dorm. So his RA mm-hmm. was um, black. And so I met him during that time. And oh, so then okay. he was kind of like my older brother when I got right, there. And so right. he was like, oh, you should come. So it was like, at least I had some invitation. <laughs> I was yeah. just like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So. <laughs> So I think for me that was like, that was just um, one of the most important times and experiences because they, uh, all the student groups had their offices next to each other. Mm -hmm. So to this day, I'm still friends with the guy that was president of Afro-M when I was president of the Latinx Student Association and the woman who was president of the Vietnamese Student Association. Like we're still friends this many years later. Yeah. So... Uh, I just I've written you know, academic papers about the structure and like what works best in terms of cultural centers and like right, right. student experience and all of that. And our offices were with student government, so yeah. like that was important too. It was like we're all in this same space. Yeah, so that's like legitimacy, and you don't have to be. Um, some places you can you can go your whole college career and not run into the student center for black students or right. Asian American students, right? And I'm like, well. Off to the side there. <coughs> mm-hmm. I get that. Yeah, so it was super helpful. Um, so what did you study? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, good, yeah, good. And I, like, it wasn't important, clearly. <laughs> no, it was like secondary, yeah, it's honestly. Yeah, secondary. Um, so I started, I took a. It was a piece of paper you walked out of. <laughs> It was like a five-hour calculus class at eight in the morning that I signed up for because I didn't know any better. And right. I, when I flunked that, Goodness. my GPA went to like a 1.3. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, shit. And so <laughs> it took the rest of my career to bring it back up to oh. like a 3.8. Ain't that ridiculous? Yeah. Ain't that ridiculous? Yeah. There uh, was like, you know, and I was involved in everything. So I was like, Goodness. somebody should have stepped in. The tall system. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I had like legit like 10 different majors on paper. I went Mm. to like from biochemistry to chemistry to computer science Mm -hmm. to I was English for a minute and then uh, I ended up with sociology. It was a thing that would encompass Mm. that diverse of classes that I had taken (laughs) because then I was like I gotta get out of here. Right. It's like College is hella cool, but once all your friends graduate and you're still there, you're like, oh shit. You gotta leave. I'm like, I gotta go, by. You gotta leave. <laughs> I gotta get out. <laughs> I wish I had, uh, I wish I had, maybe I wish I had better teachers and maybe I wish I paid attention more because hmm. I don't remember very much. Um, and well, I do love sociology. It's cramming though. Yeah, it's not a good way to learn. The whole system's not a good way to learn. No. <laughs> I remember one sociology professor because uh-huh. I really did love sociology so study of like the trends of how people behave mm-hmm. and like that's what I do today yeah um so I just remember his class in particular yeah and yeah I wish I would have had a different experience but I learned a shit ton from the people around me mm-hmm. in like all the clubs I was in mm-hmm. where I worked like all of that was like en- an enormous education to me mm-hmm. um and what happened my first year there was the Oklahoma City bombing. Oh, wow. So... You were there? Um, Oklahoma City is like 45 minutes from the college. Wow. But that, that was like everything. It was like so traumatic. Mm-hmm. And lots of people's parents died in that. Like... Um, my friend that had passed away so she lived in a different that was the first year so she lived across the the quad so i went to go pick her up and we were going to walk to class together and she Uh was getting ready and the radio was on and then all of a sudden it cut out and it was a it was a radio station in oklahoma city and so i noticed and i was like oh i wonder what happened and she's just like chatting we're talking and then it came back on and then like the djs were like i don't know what happened like it feels like the whole building shook and we're just like, oh, that's weird. And then we like we went to class, and then like I went, I was taking Spanish, and um, I walk in the building, and they had like a a room in the middle where you just study and have tables and stuff, and they had TVs, and everybody was crowded in there. So I went in, uh-huh. and then we saw everything on the television of just like 
rubble and explosive and like bodies and all kinds of stuff and so it was very intense and um just the way in which we have that experience somewhat now from 9-11 it was very very similar um and so it was incomprehensible and everything that happened 9-11 happened there Mm -hmm. so people blamed like I remember hearing on that rate on the TV station I'm like oh the nation of Islam has called <laughs> and like claimed responsibility right. uh, I just remember them saying that and I was like that's that seems weird <laughs> yeah. um, and so people threw bricks through the mosque on campus um, a lot of students had to leave mm-hmm. I was at Oklahoma State and then University of Oklahoma was near Oklahoma City, mm-hmm. so lots of international students left because they were being beaten up. Right, and like all those things are happening, and my friend and I, just curiosity, we drove. We drove over there like a month later or something. We drove to the building. Yeah. it was a government building, and we stayed for like seven seconds. And that that's the only time I've ever felt death personified. It just felt like death was alive in that space. And we're like, oh, we need to get the fuck out of here. It was just like a very large building and all the windows blown out and like things hanging, you know, structural things hanging. And it was at nighttime. And I was like, both of us were just like, got the chills and we're like, mm-hmm. it's just death is in the air. Mm-hmm. And so, so it was intense to watch that too. And, um, my goodness. Full circle, they actually made a documentary about uh, Timothy McVeigh, who was one of the men that bombed it. Mm-hmm. And I watched it this year. It was on Netflix. Really? And yeah, and I, I thought this was going to be like not very good, but it was hella good because they connected <laughs> him to all of this white supremacy stuff. Because people are just, they were two white guys that did it. <clears throat> and so. That's all, like, even being an Oklahoman, it's like, that's all I knew. I was like, it's two white guys, some military background, they're anti-government. But this documentary, like, Timothy McVeigh was at Waco, Texas, mm-hmm. like, he was physically there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, tied him to all these white supremacist movements and organizations. And I'm wow. like, that to me was so validating because you know that this, you know, what we talk about way more now, like this lone wolf bullshit, it was like just so validating. Like, no, he didn't, he's not just some crazy person that decided to like bomb this building with the daycare inside of it. It's like, that's been in the works since he was really young. So I'm like, take take that, all of that. You know what I mean? So it, it was actually a very good. What was the documentary called? I don't remember no details. I'll have to look it up for you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, I think if, I feel like it's even maybe called Oklahoma something. Yeah. But yeah. So anyway, all of that stuff was like, uh, it was just 24 seven wow. inundated with all of it on the news and That's like so crazy. in your backyard and like yeah. the campus police tell people not to not to go to classes for a while for international students brown people <laughs> were like don't go to school for don't two weeks it. just like people are ravenous don't do it yeah it's crazy it was it was intense wow yeah uh and so then when i was at the i was a grad student at the u of a when 9 11 happened and i was just like it was just dread because i'm like i already know what's gonna happen and nobody could deal with it because they were all in shock and i'm like we gotta lock down all the dorms like just you know just to be safe like these are things that are going to happen and people were just blank staring like staff yeah Yeah. because of course nobody knows right yeah it was so horrific you're the only one with the experience and then it was like triple right and then arizona has like the first a hate crime related to it like the murder of a murder of a sick uh, sick man did we yeah. Really? Yeah. He was working in a convenience store and like some guy walked in there and was like, this is for 9-11. Like days, not, if not that day of, days after. Wow. There's also some, some documentary about that case. Goodness. Um, yeah. So it was just like, just desperation of like, this is. So you came to Tucson for grad school? 
Ya. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But wow. I, you know, for me, all of those stories, yeah. like even though they're rooted in devastation, for me, it's like if we can look at this and figure out how this is all, how this environment is created, mm-hmm. so that those things happen, then can we unravel it? Yes. Right? And what does that look like? I completely agree with you. Yeah, because nobody was like... Nobody was really paying attention. For nobody apologized to nobody. Right. <laughs> and as two white guys, there weren't like any hate crimes against white guys after that. Right, you know what I mean? Right. And I'm like, not that there should have been, but I'm like, <laughs> how? then you realize, then you realize that, you know, people also come together. Like, we're all Oklahoma. And I'm like, but we don't get to be part of that healing as brown people because for me... Uh, living there and people not having very much experience with Mexicans, mm-hmm. they would of, often assume I was Middle Eastern, right. right? So I'm like, I don't get to be part of this. Like, if I come to your candle vigil, you're like giving me the side eye, right. right? So I'm like, in what ways do we not actually get to participate in that healing? Because it was very nationalistic. It's like so many American flags, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, all, all those things. And even like Connie Chung was the newscaster. And I feel like she said something like, nobody really cares about Oklahoma. She was like, Oklahoma's like backwards, whatever, like no one cares. She said right. something. She got fired for it. Really? And then that uh, lyric ended up in a Fuji song. It was like, Connie, <laughs> Connie Chung brung the bomb as it come from Oklahoma. And, wow. And so it's just like, oh, there's just like so, so many things and so many stories. And like one of our family friends, he was like a few years older than me, um, and he was in the military. He actually got stopped. They thought he was Timothy McVeigh. <clears throat> wow. So he told us the whole story. Like, he's driving. He fit the profile as this white guy who was military, and then it was like 100 cops pulled him over and like on the ground, wow. and then like figured out that that wasn't who they're looking for. But it was like so intense. <laughs> so it like touches you in 100 ways, right? Wow. Uh, and so I think those stories are important. And then I did an interview for Oklahoma State a couple of years ago, and I talked about that, uh, that aspect of it, of like, how can you be a student when they're throwing, mo- they're throwing bricks at your place of worship, and they're right. telling you not to go for your own safety, right. or you have to leave, and then you're like, oh, we're all Oklahoman. I'm like, mm, no, we're not all. You don't actually allow, allow everyone to be mm-hmm. part of it, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> you got to live through that like that first shock, and then you got to live through the second one with like everybody else. That's interesting. Well, it's funny too because um, 9/11 it happened so early in the morning for right. West for, Coast, for yeah, yeah. That I it was my clock radio, so it was on the radio again that I heard it. <sighs> the radio. I was like, God damn. Oh my goodness, the radio. <laughs> and now I don't you. even have a radio. Right. Nobody <laughs> like, has a radio anymore. I need an emergency survival kit. And I'm like, I need a radio to be in there. <laughs> wow. Damn, that's so interesting. And so you, you found yourself in, in the U of A for graduate school. Mm-hmm. What, were you gonna, what were you in graduate school for? Uh, higher education. So because of my experiences in the cultural centers in mm. Oklahoma State, then I was like, that's what I want to do. Right. I want to work in a cultural center. Okay. And so, and it was also the only thing I knew because my mom didn't go to college and my dad went a really odd route right. to get there. And so I just didn't know what to do. And everyone that I interacted with as an undergrad, that's what they got their degree in. Mm. So like student services. Uh, cultural centers, residence life, like the dorms and all, everything, they all, that's higher education. It wow. trains you to work at the college. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to do. But I also found that that wasn't really my passion either. Right. <laughs> so I was like, mm. You're a multi-dimensional person to do, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think sociology, but I think U of A's program was very, uh, what do you call it? Hard to get into. Oh, was it? Yeah, and so I talked to somebody, and they they I don't know. I didn't go back and look, but they mm-hmm. they discouraged me. They're like, no, I don't think you could mm-hmm. do it. It's very uh, I can't think of the word right now. Mm-hmm. It's like it's very selective. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh well, I just do higher education then. Right. And like you know, I had I don't I had bad test scores. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I did was I just like 
uh, audited the classes. Yeah. So I took a class and then I made a 4.0 in it and then it didn't matter my test score. So then they accepted me into their program. Oh wow. Yeah. So you're getting around like the tests that like uh, trend wise like students of color like bias against them and don't wow. do well and stuff like that so that's a, you hell get, yeah you get around the test i didn't know you could get around the test that's I, cool this is like my one my <laughs> one advice that i get to all my students because yeah. they're trying to most of the students i work with go into that same program yeah and if they have low gpa or like low tests i'm like just audit the class audit show the them class. that you can do that work and then they're like oh, okay mm-hmm. because otherwise they're just going off of like you can audit that's amazing. Yeah. I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> I don't even know how I knew to do that. Yeah, how did you figure like, that out? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so then, so that, you know, it took me five years undergrad, and then grad school was supposed to be two, and it took me three, because mm. I did it that way. Right. Um, but I think, um, like, one of my friends in grad school, like, she's super passionate about it. Like, she was all about it. Yeah. And so I could tell the difference of like, mm. I really like the cultural centers, but like we had to study everything. And I'm like, yeah. I don't give a fuck yeah. about. <laughs> you didn't want everything. You wanted yeah. this very specific thing. And I wanted to talk about inequity more. Right. It would just be like a chapter yeah, of like, yeah. oh yeah, here's, you know, the the gap between students who go to community college and then transfer to four years. Yeah. Like super huge. There's all kinds of problems and they make it really difficult for you to do that. Yeah. So I'm like, I want to talk more about that stuff. But it was only like, like I said, a few chapters here and there in every right. class. And so I get that. <clears throat> it was hard. It was hard to to get through. But, you know, I have the perfectionism gene. <laughs> so <laughs> I just did well anyway. Yeah. But it definitely was hard by the end. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck about this. <laughs> and that's why I had no idea that, like, nonprofit work existed. Like, I didn't really know what that was. And then, right. like, I just, by chance, Worked at a nonprofit for like nine years after I graduated. What was, what was the nonprofit? Um, the YWCA. YWCA. No idea. Wait, YWCA. Oh, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So they, at that time, they had a racial justice program, which oh. they don't have anymore. Um, and wow. so I just applied, and I was like, "Oh, I can be a director of racial justice. That sounds cool." <laughs> and it, so that was like the other great experience of like developing workshops and working with right. community members and like middle school students, high school students, college students, and then adults who are running their own businesses and or like trained all 600 employees at the juvenile detention center in Tucson wow. about racial inequity. So wow. I just, I loved that experience and I learned a lot. And then I also learned how nonprofits are also problematic <laughs> right like universities are <laughs> so yeah old systems that we need fixing mm-hmm. that need fixing i guess what from all that how did uh, how did you get to spoken futures so it was part of that um we had gotten a very big grant from the kellogg foundation yeah. uh they had a racial healing initiative nas- national mm-hmm. and so we applied for a grant and we got one to do a program that we called Nuestra Voz. And so we were at Pueblo and Sunnyside mm-hmm. and um, just talking about social justice kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I met Logan through different art things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I hired him to help me run those programs. And so he would bring some of the poetry stuff and I would bring all the social justice stuff and we kind of melded it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and ran those programs and then the basically my job got dismantled um during the whole ethnic studies thing so i left um and then he and i continued that work so people like enrique and ada and zach they were high school students in our classes at pueblo and sunnyside and so wow. when you spend that much time with folks, they become your family. Yeah. And so we're like, well, let's just do it. And so we just made an organization and they were, they stayed with us and we just grew it from there. Wow. Yeah. Which is cool because then, you know, it's like, oh, the nonprofit doesn't, has its limitations. Mm-hmm. 
uh, even the school system has its limitations. So what can you take from that and create your own? And of course, we have our own limitations, yeah. but we have more ability to like shift it if we want to, right? Or right. to take time to reflect on it mm-hmm. and, and see how inequity is creeping in and how do we, you know, we're small enough that we can say, oh no, we don't want to fucking do that. Mm-hmm. Let's change this mm-hmm. and we can do it that way. Right. So that's how it was born. <laughs> wow. How long has it been going for? Since 2010. 2010. Wow. Yeah, time flies. Yeah, I can't believe freaking eight flies. years, man. <laughs> what is, yeah, so that is, <laughs> it's helpful because they are our uh, parameter. So it's like we knew them when they were 16 and yeah. now they are. So that is like it a constant dogs. reminder of how long it's been going on. Yeah, it's <laughs> Which I think is we're so blessed that yeah. they're all still a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, that's the thing that makes it feel like we're doing something right. Yeah. That they're still here. Give them some kind of like a safety net. To, to Definitely a family for sure, yeah. a, community. a community. And like, you know, our programs are for youth, like 18 and under. Mm. And so it's like growing. So they, they grew and then we have to grow too. So they right. run the shit now. Like right. I don't, they know more than I do about the programs that we have. Oh, I'm just wow. trying to work on like, trying to get money or like right. dealing with different folks you're more above now <laughs> well I, I don't like to be hierarchical even though it is yeah. <laughs> but I'm like they're the leaders of all of their programs so they run the poetry slam they like know more about it mm-hmm. you know and so I'm trying to raise enough money that we can have somebody who's under 25 be one of the co-directors because mm-hmm. um, I would I uh I saw an organization, I feel like it was in the Bay, uh, many years ago, it was another documentary, um, mm. and it was like women who've been incarcerated, and they, their policy is that their director would never be, will be 25 years old and younger, so I was like, that would be amazing, that's what I would want for this organization, like we could participate, like I might be director of finance or something, right. but I feel like... A younger director is better. Yeah, it's a youth organization, so true. it definitely should be. True, true, true. Absolutely. And so we're just trying to cultivate a structure that would hold it. Hold it like that. And that's why I like that they run the programs, because that knowledge is then transferred and they make it their own, right. as opposed to, like, if it's all about me and then I decide I want to leave or I, whatever, yeah. then, like, it falls all apart. It falls all apart. Right. So we talk about that as, like, charismatic leader. So it's, like, Martin Luther King... Uh, any of Cesar Chavez, like all these charismatic leader, like that is not, that was put on them a lot, but I don't want to ever be there because I've seen organizations who, great people. Built it around the yeah. person. And, and when they the leave, leaves, it, it, it all falls apart. apart. Absolutely. Smart. And it's a way to like control too. So yeah. sometimes if you have a charismatic leader and they become problematic, yeah. there's no way to touch them because right. they hold all the power. Right, right, right. And so this is more like... It's decentralized. Yeah, decentralized and like rotate that around and Good. like give them real power to make all those decisions. Do you know like, what programs is going on right now? Or Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We meet. <laughs> we still meet together. yeah. <laughs> So, you know, like the Tucson Youth Poetry Slam was the first, was a program that existed before the organization. And so, um, you know, Eva, this year Eva was running that. And um, we created uh, Kaleidoscope because we saw a need to create intentional space for queer youth. Um, And so Zach runs that. And it's been super amazing. They... uh, created like a drag show for queer or for oh, youth yeah, yeah. and so it's just amazing like and that's not my that's not my environment right right um and that's zach's so does drag yeah and so knows all of these things and it was just like i just cried the whole time for the first two because they were here in pilita and it was jam-packed like i had to look from the window outside i'm like can't even get into my own event (laughs) and it's like oh he knows because he experiences it but all the drag queens are youth and like right drag queen culture is very much centered around bars and so you can only go once you're you're 21 21. or if you can sneak in yeah and then where do you practice before then and so this is like a whole 
this is like a need that he could see being yeah. on both sides of just coming out of youth and then yeah. starting to participate and then provide a space for it. And then the other thing is that because of the bar culture, a lot of their families can't support them, right? Whether mm -hmm. it's younger siblings or their parents are not into that scene. Right. So their families were here. So we had like wow. one of the drag queens um, boyfriend's little sister. They dressed her in drag and she's three and they came up together. And Aww. I'm like, it was a total family affair <laughs> <laughs> and a ways to be supportive and loving wow. and like into for other youth who don't have any experience with it to right. just be like, oh, wow. Be exposed to it. Yeah, because it's also a very cost prohibitive um, endeavor. <laughs> right. Um, and so then working on that of like, how do we share things or like right. get funding? So they've done it with no funding for three times now. Wow. And then I just wrote a grant with the help of um, Alicia Vasquez. And so we got a little funding finally wow so they're gonna have another one at the end of january so for like that's amazing it's that's like, great that's huh. how that's how it grows right and it's yeah. just like we want to do a drag show i'm like absolutely and yeah. they do poetry right they do queer youth poetry at the drag show and like nice. so it's still like connected to the to yeah. how it started i guess you could say yeah i'm here it's flying out <laughs> <laughs> i didn't mention that because you're in a row so i was just like oh, yeah. gonna be. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I don't know. It, it brings me great joy, and I think mm -hmm. even the chat books and publishing youth poets. It's like, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, that's great. Just how many, how many, how many chat books have you guys published? Um, four poets and three books. Four poets and three books. Well, there's actually four books. So, yeah, that oh, first wow. year that we were in Sunnyside in Pueblo, mm -hmm. um, they did a, a collective chat book. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, okay. And then uh, two of the women did one book together. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So I think, you know, even that too is a process. It's like, oh, we were published, but like it's a process. So the process even of them being validated that your work can be a book. Right. Is like, yeah, like pull all your work together. Like mm -hmm. this is good. Yeah. And they're like, no, and I'm like, no, this is good. Like, like this here's can be how to, yeah. Absolutely. And once they see others do it, then they're like, okay, it becomes that much more realistic I'm right. like, oh I've seen the process I get that so then we just I talked it over with everyone and the students all bought the book which goes straight to the poets so I'm right. like cool so I'll get paid to develop the curriculum nice. and you get paid all this, the, well, uh, we'll mandate uh, that they all buy the book there you go so I'm like cool because it's hard awesome. you know always have to think just think about it yeah instead of being like oh like I don't know I don't want to uh. like no that. let's talk about it I don't know yeah. what should we do what, like, what we can move forward here like, yeah how do we make it work for like, I, I'm not rich so I'm like right. I, I need that money yeah <laughs> but like you created the work so right. how, what makes most sense and like they couldn't neither of them could come and co-teach with me of course so I was like all right how does this feel I'm like cool everyone's good yeah all right cool let's, That's let's awesome. do that yeah so it's not always that easy, but... <laughs> I mean, it's a family. <clears throat> yeah, totally. <laughs> so it made me think about writing that up for yeah. other... Because we, with the, you know, zines and blogs and, like, even Twitter and all those kinds of things, there's, mm. it's, it's a way in which people who are often marginalized have access, right? Mm. So if you don't... If you're not hired as, like, a journalist or you're not writing for a major magazine, like, because of the of inequity that exists, right. like you can create your own yeah. and like you're doing right now right with your podcast yeah it's like so then how do we um pay people for that right instead of just saying like oh i i read this article i heard this podcast and i'm like quoting it and i'm just giving you props but i'm like no we need money <laughs> like how can you pay people for that right work right yeah, yeah, yeah. and like again you don't have to have all the answers but can we at least have the conversation of like of oh you're quoting me all the time or using my book all the time but i'm broke as fuck you're like cool how about I you're getting paid for that how about 10 percent? Right. you know what i mean like give something yeah for sure from that work that's the truth and, yeah and you can negotiate that on the other side like you need to pay me more because i'm giving some money to the homies that are like the ones that i wouldn't have this work right if they hadn't created it of course <laughs> you know what i mean yeah leverage in its own way <laughs> that's beautiful yeah i get super excited about it i'm like let's what works i don't think it has to be that hard yeah but if you don't, if you don't operate intentionally, then inequity has the power. So inequity will prevail. Right. And right. then before you know it, you're like, oh shit, 
Mm-hmm. That's not. Sort of slipped away from me. Yeah, I'm like, that's not, that's not cool. <laughs> How long has uh, Felita been involved? Uh, I think we've been here two years now. Maybe almost. I feel like two. This must be the, the second year that we've been here. Oh, really? Yeah. Only? Really? Yeah. What? Yeah, we would meet at my house or Logan's house or um, different libraries. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then Logan and I both live in this neighborhood. Yeah. And he noticed that it was closed because it used to be a museum. Right. So we talked about it and then we looked into it and then um, we went to our council person mm-hmm. and they helped. Get it? Yeah. They're like, it was empty and like, you know, empty buildings in a neighborhood are not ideal. Um, And then we talked to our neighborhood association Mm -hmm. because it's run by like super old school homies that have lived here a long time. Right. So we basically asked for their permission and they were like, absolutely, we like want something for young people. And like, thanks for asking because the prior folks didn't ask. Um, The prior folks. (laughs) (laughs) That's nice. But you know, it's, Uh. it's also like, the narrative that's going on right now is like, oh, we is an art space, and like, does that contribute to gentrification, right? This. It's like you make something super nice, and then like, gentrification will take over. <laughs> right. So it's a really hard. It's again, a balancing act, no. There's no perfect answer. We just right. have to be open to like, yes, that's what's happening. Right. Um, and so, some of the ways in which think, we think, think about that is like opening it for like local yeah. groups that yeah of course have been here gentrification i feel like has a, is two-sided it can be destructive or it can be uh, creative mm-hmm. in my opinion but maybe i'm yeah. wrong yeah um i think gentrification is um almost always negative mm. it can look like oh we cleaned up this place and there's less violence yeah. but where do those people go right right and oh. then what was existing there like if you would have put those resources there then that wouldn't have happened right <laughs> right if right, we would have right. just given you know it's usually folks of color or like low-income folks those same resources then it wouldn't then it would be a better place right. but you kicked them out and then have your own resources like of course it's gonna have less violence and look prettier <laughs> so it's i always wonder like where are you pushing those people to right yeah. yeah um yeah it's good times, yeah, it's good times. <laughs> what's, what's looking uh, what's happening for 2018 <laughs> i feel like 2017 is trying to kill me <laughs> the last few days of its grip. <laughs> uh, it's over. Yeah, I think this year has taught me to be very present in the moment. Mm. And so <laughs> I haven't actually thought too much about 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I'm not sure, but trying to persevere and trying to survive and trying to find joy in the little things, I think, um, is really important in just continuing our work with as much intentionality as possible. It's just steady. I agree. Be steady. Yeah. I love uh, that. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> well, we can end it there. Cool. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Do you want to, like, I don't know, do you have, like, a Twitter? Do you have, like, do you want to, like, people know? No? No, you don't work that way? <laughs> respect. Respect. So, thank you for being on. Yeah, for um, sure. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye.